I think long gone are the days that you can pay a, a good salary and expect lifelong loyalty. That's just not enough anymore. Those days, those days are gone. How you approach is going to need to be personalized um, in terms of your interactions, how you engage, even how you offer direction upon the member of the team that you're talking to. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Affordable Vet Care. Looking for a thriving career? Make the change and find your why at Thrive. Now hiring clinical staff. Visit thrivevet.com slash careers today. David and I are super excited to have this amazing smart guest today, Dr. Matthew Salwa, and you have an MA and a PhD, so we, we will call you Dr. Matt today. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. We appreciate you being a, a guest on our show. It's a pleasure to have the chief economist in the Veterinary Economics Division of the AVMA on our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, Matt. Uh, oh, goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Matt's fine, and you're making me blush over here. Your listeners can't uh, <laughs> can't see that. Uh, you talk about an amazing, smart guest. I'm interested. I want to listen in, too. Who is that person that you've got on, on today? I don't know. Um, no, the thank hum- you. The I'm, humility. I'm, the humility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Without having to read your bio, I have not met you. I am not familiar with you. So, so tell me, tell our listeners... Who are you and and how did you get to be where you are today? Uh, Thanks. And I think we're all still trying to answer that question at the end of the day, right? right. But uh, (laughs) I usually use three words to explain myself and the order says it all, but it's husband, father, and uh, economist. And uh, the thing, most important thing to know about me is I, I take my work seriously, but I do not take myself seriously at all. Uh, I like quiet dinners with my wife, pillow fighting with the kids, and uh, I've got a deep passion for the work that I do and absolutely love working in veterinary medicine. And uh, on the side, I like to lay on the couch, cuddle with my family, watching a movie. So that's me. Nice. Yeah. Sounds pretty down to earth and, and human. I feel like chief economist is <laughs> <laughs> right, this fancy title. Right. <laughs> how did you get into that title? Like, how did you get into veterinary medicine if you're a chief economist? You know, it's it was a uh, it all started in the womb. I thought to myself, "This is where I want to be." No, I'm just I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, it, and unlike veterinary medicine, um, I, you know, no one when they're seven years old dreams of being an economist, right? It just doesn't uh, right. It doesn't doesn't happen. But uh, 
Yeah, it happened. So became became an economist, and I won't uh, bore your listeners with that story. Uh, but worked in a number of industries, in and out, uh, government, academia, uh, food, agriculture. Spent some time in the pharmaceutical industry, and uh, I'd say my real f- first foray into animal health and veterinary medicine was this really exciting role I had with uh, Alanco Animal Health, and it really got me uh, working closely side by side with uh, scientists and experts across a diverse number of subjects, but veterinary medicine was definitely one of them. And I just, I, I fell in love with the discipline, with the people, um, the, you know, the profound humility that I think a lot of veterinarians have, but you know, even above and beyond that is just the the passion and compassion that they have for the work that they do um, and the animals and the patients that they serve. It's just a wonderful area to be in. Fantastic. I hear that a lot from people that have some type of specialty that's outside veterinary medicine and somehow some way they've integrated that into their work and they say a lot of those similar things and and I agree Matt I feel like we are a a profession full of compassion and it's our biggest strength and our biggest weakness all at the same time Absolutely If you could pick a a podcast or a book or CE conference some type of platform that left a lasting impression in you and, and really guided you in, in maybe through your career and to dig deeper or be better. What would that, what would it be? It's so hard because uh, so much has, I think, influenced me. Um, you know, just so many wonderful, wonderful books and experiences. And I'm not, I'm not huge into the podcast only because I don't have a lot of time. And so I, um, you know, there's so many economics related ones that I could, I could talk about, but I think the one that I'll share with you is just, um, an experience that had a lasting effect on me was, uh, as an undergraduate that I, I took a course in American economic history. Um, and that sounds for some reason, <laughs> yeah, right. putting the pillow over their head <laughs> right. saying, no, save me from that. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I've, I've always enjoyed history and I was so close to, to majoring in history um, but I've enjoyed it for history's sake. And this class just mesmerized me in using economic, economics and economic analysis and economic theory to help explain some of the choices that we've made in our past, both good and bad. Um, and it applied this lens of economics to, I think, explain our, our history. And from there on, I, I, was, I was hooked uh, using math, using economic models to not only understand the past, but but then also to help predict the future, just immensely fell in love with the, the power of that discipline. So you wrote an article, Matt, uh, published in DBM 360. I'm looking at it now. So it was published online January 11th of this year. Uh, it appeared in the February 2021 edition, volume 52 of, of DBM 360. And it's titled, Generational Shift Brings Opportunities for Veterinary Practices. Um, What's interesting is, and your the first sentence or two says that in 2021, millennials, I guess, will or have now surpassed Gen X as the leading group in the U.S. workforce. So we've got what it looks like is kind of a 30-30 split, millennial Gen X and baby boomer, but that um, of that split, the, the, the millennials have, have overtaken um, even Gen X. Yeah. And so... 
I think a lot of us on the show, and, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in or where you're at, we've heard millennials, and we've certainly heard about millennials in the workforce. And so we're absolutely seeing shifts in you know priorities and workplace culture and employee behavior based on some of the values that the millennials have. So why did you decide to write or publish an article on generational differences in the workplace? What What makes this topic so special? I mean, this is not economics, right? So, uh, at least from where I sit. So, so what? W- how, how did that topic come come your way? Yeah, thanks. And you know, you said January twenty twenty one. I'm thinking to myself, where was I? Gosh, why does that feel so long ago? And isn't that so true? <laughs> right. Just, our our reality over the last year and a half is just forever uh, long. So much is <laughs> forever long. So much has has changed, and we could talk about COVID and the pandemic and everything else in between. I think you know another time, but you know it. It's related to economics. Demography, I think, is uh, is a field in of itself in its own right. Um, but certainly the economic patterns of, of our changing population and what that means, the economic implications of that are a really relevant economic topic. And, you know, a few reasons with deciding to write this. But I think, you know, we looked at this, uh, the economics team. So it's, there's not just me. There's a team of statisticians, economists, data scientists at, at AVMA hard at work for the profession. When we were looking at this, we were just um, a little bit uh, struck by it. And um, the first reason being just the generational shift that is taking place in veterinary medicine. It's both it's both a real and a very tangible phenomenon. And this is, I think, super profound because veterinary medicine is in the middle of a major cultural shift and not to be hyperbolic, but it's a cultural shift of tectonic proportions. Um, as baby boomers continue to retire and Gen Xers grow older, um, millennials are making up the majority of the veterinary workforce. And we're sort of ahead of the curve here. You look at the general population in the U.S. and still boomers are predominantly make up the greater composition of the workforce as a whole. Millennials have yet to take over when you look at the broad U.S. workforce, um, and so we're seeing this now in veterinary medicine, and I think it's going to be an important tale of what's to come just more broadly in our economy. Uh, but I think, you know, with this, this demographic shift, this cultural shift, you know, notions of what it means to be a veterinarian, how we define ourselves, um, the work that we do and how we do it, that's all shifting too. And so it's just, it's a really important topic. So let's talk about some of the generational differences that we're seeing in the employees and not even specifically the associates or the veterinarians, but just in the staff in general. Our support staff tend to be much younger. um, So we get a lot of those millennials. And then if we have um, some traditional practice owners that are in that baby boomer, even Gen Xer era, we still have a few of those couple of those straggler silence in there as well. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. Can we talk about some of these generational differences that we're seeing? We, we sure can. And I'll start with this. Like all differences between people, and we're going to talk about generational ones, but, you know, we're, we're talking in generalities here. And so just want to be fair to when we start talking about, you know, what we see as differences across generations, whether we talk about gender, race, ethnicity, uh, country of origin, all of those things, you can talk in generalities, but sometimes it doesn't do credit to the, the great spectrum of differences between all of us. And so just want to be fair that we'll talk about maybe what makes millennials unique from Gen Xers and boomers, but it's all a spectrum. And I think just lay that out there for starters. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, but we're really, we're talking about three big generations here, generational cohorts, uh, the boomers, the baby boomers, 
1964, roughly, uh, birth group. Then we've got our Gen Xers, 1965 to 1980. And then our Millennials, 1981 to 1996. And they make up the majority, the big bulk, the 98, 99% of, of the workforce, at least in veterinary medicine. Um, two other generations that just to, because they are important, they're still part of our society. Uh, the silent generation, 1928 to 1945, you know, the, uh, the youngest of those being around 78 or so. We don't really see a lot of them, obviously, in the workforce. They've, they've retired and um, have done a lot to support our, our country and our economy. And then we've got the up-and-coming Gen Z, 97 to 2015, which we'll start to see uh, enter into the veterinary workforce um, in, in the next couple of years. But, you know, I think as we talk about the differences between these three generations in particular, millennials, Gen X, baby boomers, there's really three differences that I want to lay out there. One are life cycle age effects. And these are differences just based on chronological, chronological age. So people who can vote or are legally allowed to drink, they're going to have different characteristics of, uh, from different generations just because of their age. And then you have period effects. And this is when events and circumstances like wars, social movements, economic booms or busts, being uh, alive during a, a significant scientific or technological breakthrough, these can have lasting effects on, on a population. Um, and so those, for example, that uh, had to experience the Great Recession of 2008 will be unique because of that experience. And then the third difference is what we, uh, demographers anyway, call cohort effects. And these are differences between generations that can be the byproduct of unique historical circumstances that members of a particular age cohort might might experience, particularly during a time when they are in the process of, of forming opinions. And so when we talk about these differences, we talk about age effects, period effects, and, and cohort effects. Um, and so with that, I'll, I'll, I'll jump into some of these generational differences that, that we observe. Um, uh, start with boomers, perhaps one of the most influential generations in our history. Uh, they're known for their pivotal roles in the civil rights movement, uh, events like Woodstock, Vietnam War. With this generation, what we've observed is they, they value relationships really quite significantly. They did not grow up with technology running their lives. Right. Boomers grew up making phone calls and writing letters and solidifying really strong interpersonal. Yeah. E exactly. Right. Now, as they got older, they became fluent in technology and used cell phones and tablets just like the rest of us. Um, but, but really driving relationships is, was really critical to, to that generation. And then we've got Gen Xers, uh, AKA the lost generation, uh, sandwiched between boomers and millennials who we talk a lot about boomers. We talk a lot about millennials, <laughs> it's Gen Xers. It's yeah, sort right. of forgotten. And, and the I'm because that's where I fall in. Everybody forgets exactly. about us. Exactly. Um, and they were also dubbed the latchkey kids too because they were one of the first uh, so-called daycare generations because many Gen Xers were raised by two parents that worked or potentially even a, even a single, yes. uh, a single parent yeah. family. We know that Gen Xers have delayed marriage. They delayed uh, having kids to focus on developing themselves. And that sort of uh, tends to characterize that generation a lot. And then we've got our millennials, uh, which is the first generation to reach adulthood in this new millennium. Uh, we think of them as the young technology gurus who thrive on new innovations and startups and yeah. working out of coffee mm -hmm. shops. Uh, Time magazine called them unfairly or not the, the me, me, me generation because mm -hmm. they're known mm -hmm. for wanting to have it all. Just confident, 
um, and and some I think unfairly again call them entitled, but you know they they have this mm-hmm. desire to you know have a successful career, have a, a great family, um, and just really mm-hmm. wanting it all. Um, so just a little bit about each of those generations there. Yeah, thank you. So you know I just while you were chatting, and I and I want our listeners to think that I was multitasking, but I googled <laughs> millennials narcissism and got two hundred and forty thousand results. Yeah. Right? I Googled baby boomer narcissism and got a million results. Um, so I want to I want to dig into this millennial thing for a minute. Millennials get a yeah, bad rap. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, so unfair. Helicopter parents, the me generation. Um, you know, but we're we and I'm a millennial. We're here to stay. We're growing in numbers. We're uh, as you said, we've surpassed the number of people in the workforce. And what's really interesting is, and and look, I want to tell all of our listeners, I am not casting stones on any generation. <laughs> but my from where I sit, and typically the way when I interact and look at this, I find that most baby boomers are the ones throwing stones against the millennials. Sure. Um, and so I just googled this, and it says, you know. Um, millennials narcissism are millennials narcissistic, et cetera, et cetera. But then I go here and it says new study concludes that boomers are more hypersensitive than millennials. Are baby boomers a generation of sociopaths? Baby boomers are more sensitive than millennials. And look, I I, want to rewind and say I'm not giving credence to any of this evidence. I want to know, Matt, what exactly do you think has resulted in um, this, this really rampant criticism of millennials, and I've heard them called, um, you know, narcissists and things yeah. uh, publicly. Which narcissism is a is a mental health diagnosis. I don't think anybody that's not a psychotherapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist is is able to make that diagnosis, especially for an entire generation. Um, like that's yeah, yeah, right. right, exactly. And you said it before. You said there, you know, it's a spectrum. So the fact that Time Magazine has, you know, me, me, me. If you really flip it on your head. And you think about, for example, the idea of like the American dream, shouldn't we all want everything, right? So so what, you know, what what is it about um, millennials and, and what do millennial employees and clients really want and why do they get such a bad rap? Oh, it's a, that's a great question, David. We could probably talk an hour about that. And uh, I think- uh, Maybe too much I, I think to it's sort of in a, one episode. Yeah, right, too much. But I think uh, historically every generation in some way has been <laughs> hated upon by its predecessors. It's sort of a, a temporal constant here. Um, you know, there's a really great book called Generations written by uh, a couple of historians and demographers, William Strauss and Neil Howe. And it, it's a number of years old, but they they have this really fantastic theory that bears itself out that there are certain characteristics that every generation um, tends to cycle through. Um, and, and really, whether we're talking about millennials or boomers, it can be compared to the relationship that boomers and millennials had a uh, hundred years ago with some of the gener- generational cohorts of that time. Um, that said, I, I also think millennials have borne the brunt of, of far more generational condemnation than, than any other before it. And yet, I also think that millennials grew up in a time period that was and is still very, very challenging. Uh, they face an extreme pressure to be successful, buying a home, keeping a good job, getting married. And none of these things is as easy. Social media influencers. Exactly. (laughs) Becoming rich with Mm -hmm, doing nothing. (laughs) That's right. I mean, we didn't talk much about Gen Z, but this is the group that 
uh, is growing up with the YouTubers being an actual career option, right? Like <laughs> part of me wants to roll my eyes when, you know, my 10 year old, I ask him what he wants to do when he grows up and he says, be a YouTuber. But I have to realize that that's not fair because that's the generation he's growing up with. Is these, <laughs> right. these are role models of sorts. But, yeah. you know, back to the point, you know, none of these things like buying a home, getting a good job, um, getting and staying married, they, they weren't as easy as they were a, a number of years ago, decades ago. A part of it's due to the extraordinary high costs in our society for some of these things that have changed over time. Um, goodness knows anybody who's trying to buy a home right now is experiencing that. Um, and society has made it, I think, more difficult in many ways, um, keeping a successful marriage together. Um, and other social aspects of our of our country, of our society that didn't exist a number of years ago, things like mass shootings, especially at schools, are are unfortunately common. And they hardly existed during the past generations. And so I think millennials are really growing up in this this part of time that is probably more challenging than any other time that we've had uh, in our country and in our society. That the other part of that question is what do millennials want, right? And why do they why do they have such a bad reputation? So I think you know part of that why is what I just explained. What do they want? You know I think in the workplace, millennials, contrary to baby boomers, really strive for flexibility rather than being in a so-called higher tax bracket. I think a lot of boomers um, uh, strive to achieve that higher tax bracket. I've, I've got to earn more. I've got to. I have to get promoted. I need to grow in my in my career. Um, and and it's not altogether unsurprising because they. They grew up from the parents and grandparents that experienced the Great Depression. And so economic security was really critical to that. Um, millennials, on the other hand, they want that flexibility. They want more vacation time. They want casual dress. Uh, they want the opportunity to work from home rather than the office. And they're all about working smarter, not necessarily harder. And it's not just for uh, working for their career's sake. It's all integrated. Their work-life integration is uh, far more harmonized, or they have a desire to make it far more harmonized than I think any generation before it. That's a really interesting point, uh, Matt. I wanted to touch on that really quickly, that millennials are so connected to technology. And, and you know, when we as millennials were really, really young, we got the internet, we got computers, uh, and then we, we kind of integrated it into our lives. And one of the things that I think is really interesting that also I think gives millennials a bad rap is this idea of them being lazy and they don't want to work a full full day. And uh, especially with veterinarians, I've heard, you know, especially with newer grads or younger associates, you know, they don't want to work the 10 or 12 hours we used to work. And what's interesting, if you, again, really reverse engineer that a little bit, technology has made our lives to, you know, has influenced our lives to the point where we can work less. Because when you, you know, type in, you know, something into a database, and it shoots out an email to all of your clients, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we'd have to handwrite thank you cards yeah. to our clients, for example. Yeah. So the idea of the millennial, I don't think that it's that they want to work less, meaning they want to be lazy at work, like kick their legs up on the on the shelf when a, when a dog's under anesthesia. But the idea is I can do relatively the same amount of work, I can do a day's work, but in six hours or seven hours, if I can text clients or I can email things out or I can use, um, you know, templates or I can check up something on my phone. And then if I can get work done in a six or seven hour day, then guess what? 
it um it, it allows me to then go to the beach or go out to dinner or you know binge watch <laughs> Netflix and so I think for all of our listeners that might be a baby boomer or or older and say millennials are lazy I think that's not the right idea the millennials work super hard but as you said they want to work smarter not harder so they're going to get the same or even more amount of work done but use technology to be more efficient and then that opens up life to do cool stuff outside of work so I think that's my take on the whole idea of you know millennials being lazy it's it's really true David, and I think, you know, we have to, these are the things to watch out for. And so we, you know, we, the, the, the pointing to millennials as, as being lazy, you know, that's a very, you know, boomer centric lens being applied on a generation that they may not necessarily understand. Um, and I think, you know, from the boomer perspective, they grew up in an environment where society told them that if you want to succeed, you have to work hard. And if you have this dream that you want to fulfill you you have to you have to work hard and i think we're in a different environment now and millennials almost look at that with a skeptical eye i mean that's the other side of it so boomers say you're being lazy but the millennials saying you're 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 you worked too hard um what did you sacrifice what did you give up in order to get what you got sure you you did these 60 hour work weeks and you achieved a great career but what did you give up in order to get that and I think millennials are, are recognizing this. And this is the question that I think is on the table is it's okay to want to work less, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that either. Goodness knows, you know, we'd rather be doing things other than laboring. Matt, these are some great points. I am, I'm just, I can't imagine having to unpack all this and just the short amount of time that we have together. But I do want to ask a few follow-up questions to some of this. Definitely. When I I think about the fact that you talk about how, you know, baby boomers want to have the higher tax bracket, right? They want to make more money. They want to strive to do better. They have to have the bigger house, the wider picketer fence, the, the bigger yard, the, the more kids, whatever it is, right? Because we all want to have this American dream. And, and I think to myself, millennials don't necessarily need to have that. We see these different types of apartment homes that are way more popular now than these traditional houses that we see, right? And I think yeah. millennials don't want to hire a pool man or hire a gardener, not because they don't want to work hard to pay for it, but because they would rather do something else. Yes. Where for my generation and the baby boomers, like we had to do that because that was like, we worked hard for this yard, so we're going to mow it ourselves. Right. Like we, we worked hard for this pool, so we're cleaning it, damn it, you know? And millennials are like, yeah, you work so hard for that. Why? Why would you do that, right? Why wouldn't you do this instead? And so I see this kind of shift into the new American dream looks a little bit different for, for millennials. And it's just a different American dream. They can have it all because they work smarter, not harder, and, and these different things. And so I think about how can we integrate this as managers and, and recognizing that millennials are not our enemies. They're 98% of our workforce. They are who we're managing now. I don't need to dangle the dollar carrot at the end of the fishing line in front of this employee. They want to be able to have, you know, some other type of benefit that's going to make my practice stand out or be desirable for these millennials to work at, right? Yes. And utilize them for their smarts, their brains of doing it more efficient through technology and embracing some of these things that they bring to the table. So let's talk about two, three, five, 25, whatever rabbit hole you want to go down to. <laughs> some common mistakes that veterinary practices make when we are 
challenge with multi-generational workforces, right? How, how do we, you know, dangle the dollar carrot for the, the baby boomer and yet do something completely different for the millennial, like work from home? What are some of these common mistakes that we do with these multi-generational workplaces? Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I've got maybe three that I'll talk about before I get into that, just to, you know, piggyback on all that wonderful commentary that you just added. I think, you know, very smartly pointed out that the carrot looks different if you're a manager. I, you know, and I first want to say that doesn't mean that as a manager of a veterinary practice or any business for that matter, that you're off the hook in terms of, you know, compensating employees appropriately, because that it's, there's still an economy and people have to sure. participate in that economy. Right. Um, but I think long gone are the days that you can pay a, a good salary and, and expect lifelong loyalty. That's just not enough anymore. Those days, right. those days are gone. Gone by the and, wayside. Right. And you're right to point out, you know, what millennials value is different too. So with that, you know, common mistakes, I think veterinary practices, and it, this isn't just solo to veterinary practices, but in dealing with multi-generational workplaces, I think the first one is Managing people is a one-size-fits-all approach. It's not. That's a mistake. Um, how you approach is going to need to be personalized um, in terms of your interactions, how you engage, even how you offer direction, depending uh, upon the member of the team that you're talking to, um, going to work across all members of your team or other members of your team. And certainly yes, exactly. personalities are at play. But you know, as we've been talking about, the generation that you fall in you know, greatly impacts your, your personality. Second, it's not just your staff, but it's your clients too, right? So without question, your clients cut across different generations. And so how you communicate the value of veterinary care and build successful relationships with your clients is going to vary too, depending upon the, the generational cohort that your particular client might, might fall into. Uh, and then lastly, I'd say that, you know, a common mistake is assuming that what worked yesterday is going to work today or tomorrow. Uh, you know, people, we are crazy, yeah. imperfect, uh, but wonderful creatures. And we have good days and we have bad days and you'll have good days and you'll have bad days as a manager. So you've got to be open and flexible to adapting your approach day to day, uh, not just across your interactions with generations, uh, but across, you know, people on the whole spectrum. So Matt, I think that you're, that the idea of one size fits all, I think is a huge pitfall. And I'm, I'm so right there with you. I know Andrea agrees too, that one of the other things I think is really interesting that was a, an epiphany I personally came to, and I don't know if there's any evidence about this, but was that millennials, I think, are reacting a little bit against a world that is really big and busy and really depersonalized, right? I mean, even the mm -hmm. idea that I go on Facebook and there's things that Facebook thinks I will like is really depersonalizing, even though Facebook thinks that that's a great thing to suggest things that I want. And so I, as a millennial, say me, 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 because I don't want to get lost in the four, five billion other voices on this planet. And so when you look at your employees and you say, you know, for example, I, I know what my employees want, that's depersonalizing because you don't, you haven't asked them, right? right. Um, I was on a forum the other day and somebody said, I really want to do something, and I, and I hate to say it, but I think it was a boomer. They said, I, I really want to do something super nice for my employees. They're super burned out. 
And there, as you can imagine, were 50 different things. Take them <laughs> away and do this and bowling and movies and blah, 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 blah. And I just bit my lip because I knew right. I was going to get some flack for this. And I said, why don't Did you, you ask, ask them? them? Yep. Right. And so I said, why don't you do a imagine survey that. with, yeah, like five or six different categories, you know, a cash reward, a, a movie ticket, uh, a trip to the lake, whatever it was, and let them vote and and see where it where it pans out. And they were like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, and so I was like reverse engineering this saying, I don't know what my employees want. I'm going to I'm going to ask them. So when you think about the three generations, we've got the boomers, the Gen X and the millennials. What are some evidence-based or gut reaction, whatever you got for us, approaches that, you know, and again, this is all generalities, right? We're all talking generalities, but relatively work well with each generational group because it's aligned with their values. And then kind of what's a demotivator? Yeah, that's great. And I love how you start it by, you know, just ask, right? Um, You know, it it reminds me of the now infamous, you know, ad of the the husband buying the wife a Peloton for her birthday, right? And... (laughs) <laughs> it was the birthday present gone wrong, and that the, <laughs> I the, that. That the criticism one. that that you know played, I think, just shows some of the gender centric views that we had. Could have easily been the wife buying the husband a Peloton <laughs> and sending the wrong message. And so I think right. it's really, <laughs> really important of recognizing what it is that um, you're trying to achieve and what it is that the person you're trying to achieve it for, what what they want and what their what their desires are. Um, and I think when it comes to millennials, now more than ever, um, we talked about they want flexibility. And so it might not just you know be the raise or the cash handout. Again, like I said, you're not off the hook there with respect to you know the economics of things. But uh, that flexibility is certainly a premium, I think, for millennials more than ever has been before. The other thing I think is prioritizing transparency is really key being honest and good yeah being open and honest with millennials and again i think this cuts across generations in some regards but in particular with millennials um they don't like being um held in the dark about things um and it's not necessarily that they have to have a seat at the the decision making table though they do want that um but they definitely want to know that their input has been included in the decisions um, and that's, that's really important. The, the other thing I would say is creating a, a sense of teamwork. Um, you know, I think we could conjure stereotypical or not the imagery of the boomer at their desk, you know, and they've got this prototypical office with a door, um, that can open and close and they can do their work in private and in silence. Um, I, I think millennials, uh, eschew that sort of notion, right? Like we've got these open floor plan offices now. Um, and, and I think what the millennial is desiring is to, yes, they have their job, but they want to do it with a group of people and they want to know that, um, they are part of something more than just themselves and just what they're doing. They want to know that their work, uh, fits into a bigger picture and has a bigger impact, um, a, a, across, uh, across society, across the, our economy, um, and, and across their careers too. That's a great Great point. I think all of that is fantastic. Transparency is huge. Mm -hmm. So Matt, as we get into the end of kind of the interview section, let's let's wrap this up. At at Positive Leaders, we really like to provide one or two high value takeaways for the managers and owners and and people that listen to our podcast. So 
you mentioned transparency. What is one way, you know, we're recording on a Friday. I always say on the podcast, we want it to be put into effect at 8 a.m. Monday morning. So let's say we've got transparency and maybe one other area um, that you think is a motivator to that possibly cuts across generations. What are What is one thing related to transparency and one other action item related to a motivator that our managers could put in place Monday morning, 8 a.m.? Yeah, I think the first thing is listen more than you talk and ask open-ended questions. Mm, Yes. Uh, Things like, what questions do you have? What do you want to know? What I try to end meetings with um, is, what do you need and how can I help? Um, And that opens the door. Now, you're not going to get great answers there if you don't have psychological safety, if you don't have trust and support. So those are kind of the foundation and you need to lay that. Absolutely. but once you have that and you start asking those open-ended questions, that transparency becomes uh, a lot better and a lot more improved. That is amazing. I love that. I think that that is so true when you talk about if you're asking those open-ended questions, you have to be prepared to do something right about them. And and I'm I'm constantly talking with managers about saying, you know, quit shaming them. Yes. And quit going into those conversations with why did you do this or how could you or didn't you know this was, you know, protocol or the rules. And instead asking, tell me about this. Tell me about why you made this decision. Help me understand better why this, why you made this choice. Because there could be a reason behind it that was Absolutely. the best for the company. But instead we go in with the shaming and blaming of how dare you type of attitude. Right. And same thing in the meetings, right? How can I help you? How can we be a better team? What do we need to change? What What is going askew that shouldn't be? And then be prepared to listen and make the change accordingly. And, you know, we just don't run our veterinary practices that way. And it drives me absolutely bonkers to the core. But that's my rabbit hole. Yeah, <laughs> uh, wonder, wonderfully, <laughs> wonderfully said. But we can, right? Yes. I think the the good news is is you don't you don't need an MBA to do that. Um, you know, leadership behaviors around uh, learning how to inform, inspire, uh, praise. You don't need a degree in order to learn how to do that. These are things that you can you can do, and there's certainly resources and things to turn to to help guide you there. Um, but these are all things that you can implement tomorrow, if not today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to ask you a question I think is is, is completely loaded. But yeah. <laughs> if, if you were to give yourself a piece of advice, uh, your younger self or our listeners out there who may not have some of the experience or even, you know, frankly, the, the, the baby boomer who's got tons of experience, give our listeners one piece of advice that you feel like is just a gem that you wish you would have had going into your career or something that really was impactful for you during your career. Oh, oh goodness. Um, well, I, at the risk of sounding like an economist, I'm going to say this um, <laughs> and then I'll explain it. Uh, beware of point estimates because life is a distribution of values. Uh, and I know that sounds like a lot of jargon, but the point is this. <laughs> we have a lot of wicked problems. We have a lot of wicked problems in our economy, in our society, in our profession, even in our own homes. And sometimes you come across the expert who says this and only this is the one and only solution. Do this or you won't succeed. Do this or you will fail. And my advice is just be very wary and be very skeptical of that because If you watch for it, you'll see it all the time. You'll see it in our trade articles. You'll see it in 
presentations that do this. And if you do this, everything will be okay. Uh, life is not a single solution or a single answer problem. Just like a game of chess has an infinite variety of ways to win, so it is in life too. That's fantastic. And that parallels with medicine because there's not just one way to get to the diagnosis. There's not just one way to treat a pet. It's not cookie cutter. That's right. You got it. Matt, you may not work directly in veterinary medicine, but I know that I know that I know you still have these types of encounters with um, whoever it may be. When you have that moment in time where like your chin hits the ground, your eyes pop out like pugs, and you just think to yourself like, is this real? Am I dreaming? Pinch me. You can't make this shit up story. So please share with us from an economist point of view, a story that makes you um, just want to say, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I have a direct one right now in, in veterinary medicine, because like I said, it's just, uh, well, like you said, I'm not in practice and I'm sure there are so many stories like that. And, uh, you know, I am recounting what I'm still, uh, uh feeling the impacts of from my youth was, uh, a job that I had at Kmart as a young college student and was working the customer service desk. And it was the sort of thing where, you can't make this up, but yet the reality was so terrifying. This person came in and they wanted to return um, what was clearly a used toilet seat. And uh, it was in a it was in a plastic <laughs> oh bag. My but it had gosh. all it had all the evidence and stains of of <laughs> oh, human use. Oh. Um, and this this customer is 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 handing it to me saying that they wanted to return it. You know, and I'm just, you know, what well, I don't know, 20, and I'm just sort of oh shocked. And the last thing I want to do is pick this up and, and take it. But I'm trained, right? And I'm and my first question is, um, why would you like to return it? Is there something wrong with it? <laughs> and and this person goes, It didn't work. And I'm thinking, well, oh, judging by the evidence, no. it looked like it worked pretty well to me. But right. uh, <laughs> it was just Yikes. it was oh, terrible. Wow. It was absolutely terrible. Oh, um, that's bad. So there you go. <laughs> it's a shit story literally yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um matt I'm, I'm sure you know darren osborne from the ovma uh he was on yes. the show a bit ago and had a had a had another shit story so uh this will be after yes, the episode right, airs exactly. so people hear about it but this is, this is the yeah second literal shit story we've had on the positive leader so <laughs> Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So Matt, thanks for coming on. This has been great. We're coming into the rapid fire section. Um, tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. <laughs> yeah, I still get heartburn thinking about it. Um, I lost one of my kids at Disney World, but it's okay. We found him. He's still back with us. Uh, but yeah, definitely... Not a great moment. Tell me about your proudest moment. Easy. Without question, it was when my wife said yes to marrying me. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? Oh, I, I've worked in a lot of industries, professions. Uh, 
academia, government, food, agriculture, spent a little time in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, of all the places and professions I've worked, animal health and veterinary medicine is by far my favorite. Uh, never been around a more uh, dedicated, humble, gracious set of human beings. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? Oh, goodness. Sometimes uh, sometimes I don't think I, I succeed in that balance at all. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, I think sometimes even this notion that life has to be in perfect balance can cause stress. Um, talk more about you know work-life harmony, that recognizing Sometimes in your life, you're leaning more towards work, and sometimes it's it's more focused on the home. And just as long as everything is in harmony with one another, that's what we should be striving for. And what keeps you up at night? Something that you stress out over, or things that cause you anxiety in your in your job, position, life? Uh, I I actually do make a conscious effort not to think about work or important things at all at night because, good or bad, my brain is running, and I simply cannot sleep, and I. I've struggled with that to try and shut my brain off at night. But I think the things that worry me are the issues around uh, burnout and um, the lack of diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in our profession. Um, just in general, the the vulnerable, the disaffected, the, the underrepresented, and the need to make life more uh, equal and equitable. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Oh, goodness. Uh, my family, first and foremost, um, and also the chance uh, to make a difference um, in, in someone else's life in this profession, uh, the chance to, to be the spark that ignites the fire, that shines the light on the issues, challenges, and opportunities facing this wonderful profession and help make it a little bit better uh, for you, for veterinarians, and for veterinary professionals because Goodness knows each one of you make life and our world a little bit better of a place every single day. Oh, Matt, thank, thank you. you. This has been wonderful. This is great, thank Matt. You so Super. much for coming on. Fantastic. So yeah, many great you're gems, such great perspective. Yeah, I appreciate your insight. Absolutely. Thanks for writing the article. Thanks for sharing right. your light and, and yeah. um, championing the um, maybe a little more exciting division of economics yes. for the AVMA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. You're, you're welcome and, and way too kind again and just appreciate the opportunity to be on here. And, um, and thank you for what you're doing, you know, shining a light on leadership and um, all the great things that this profession is about and how we can make it better. I appreciate what you're doing here. Thank you, Thank Matt. you. Yeah, you too. Uh, take care. Have a great weekend and reach out anytime if I can be of help. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your you can't make this shit up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. 
The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.